Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We are going to jump back into our message series we've been working through. Have y'all enjoyed this series through Ephesians? Got a lot of good feedback from it. And uh, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 1. Those of you who've been around for any length of time, you know that, well, uh, we're now in part, how many, somebody jump in, you want to take a guess? Okay, yeah, part 6, yeah, part 6. And uh, just to kind of catch you up with where we are, um, I've devoted the last five messages to the first 14 verses of this letter. So uh, that's just the way it is around here. We're not taking um, anything for granted, but we are taking our time <laughs> as we go through this. We want to make sure that we hear uh, all that God has to say to us from this letter verse by verse. And, and I do love going verse by verse because the text sets the agenda. And y'all know I say this all the time. Let me say it again. Maybe you're new. Uh, I, I show up and I just preach what's next in the What's next in, in the text? So go ahead and turn to Ephesians, Ephesians 1. I'm going to have all of the scriptures. Look at that. There I am uh, behind me. That's new too, huh? Uh, on the screen, we'll have me there, but the most important part will be to, to the left and right there. I'm going to have all the scriptures. And uh, I want you to really lean in this morning to hear what the Lord has to say because uh, I believe this passage that we're going to look at this morning is so relevant for where we are as a church just here at Midtown and at OSC, but really this, this passage has so much application for the church across the board. How many of y'all know God is pouring out his spirit right now in many locations across America and even the world? Raise your hand if you've heard about the revival at Asbury up in Kentucky. Uh, someone thought that, that I was referring to the Asbury uh, down the street here of Johnston. Um, I hope that revival breaks out there as well. Uh, but Asbury in Kentucky, and then there's Lee University in Tennessee, my old stomping grounds. Uh, actually, that's, that's east of where I live, but Tennessee, that's my old stomping grounds from, uh, from the past. But there in many, many churches, universities, etc., God is pouring out his spirit. And we, 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 ha we got to make sure we don't miss what he's doing. Let me say it again. We have to make sure we don't miss what he's doing. We have to make sure we don't miss God. And how many of y'all know it's, it's possible to miss God? If you don't believe me, just ask Jesus, because Jesus was the God-man, and he walked through the streets of Jerusalem, and those who had eyes to see him for who he was, well, they had an encounter with God, but there were many then who, they, they missed God, because they missed Jesus, they missed God altogether, and we, we don't want to be like that, do we? No, we want to make sure we are fully aware of what he's doing as we lean in with faith and with great expectation. So are y'all ready to receive the word today? Y'all have expectation today? Well, let's read today. We're going to pick it up in verse 15, and I'm going to read through verse 23. But I, I don't think I'm going to actually be able to preach all of this. And so, young people, if y'all could lean into this, because this is so applicable to y'all uh, and young people's relative, young people, all my young people, <laughs> um, lean into this, because um, I'm going to do my best. We'll probably get through verse well, 18-ish. Okay, so let's just, let's see what, let's see what we can do. Are y'all ready? Say ready. ready. Chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts, what? Enlightened, that you may, what? Know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his, listen to this language, glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, far above, everybody say far above, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that's a pretty powerful passage, huh? In this passage, Paul says a great deal. There's so much meat packed into this. Therefore, it's going to take us probably a couple of Sundays, once again, to get through it all. But I, I want to say very simply, I want to point out something very simply to you, and, and it's this. Paul says something very, very important. He says, I do not cease, I do not cease giving thanks for you, Ephesians, and what? Remembering you in my prayers. In other words, Paul is saying that he thanked God over and over and over and over again. So it wasn't like a, hey, thank you, Lord, that's awesome. It was, thank you, Lord. And then again, thank you, Lord. And I'm sure Paul had responsibilities that he had to, to tend to. But then as he thought about the Ephesians, he would say, thank you, Lord. And then the next time he prayed, he would say, thank you, Lord. He kept on, notice this, he did not cease giving thanks to God for them. And he said, remembering you, remembering them in his prayers. This was repetitious. Over and over and over again. So how many of y'all have been thankful for, like you can remember a time in your life when God did something extraordinary and you said thank you. Everybody should raise your hand, but raise your hand if you can remember like vividly a time when maybe, yes, you were believing something would happen, but until it happened, you know, you're just waiting, but then it happened, that good thing happened. Then you're like, oh my God, thank you. Let me see your hands. Well, well, we, we all had those moments uh, and, and, uh, Maybe for you, man, it was, how about this one? When you were engaged and you asked that woman who's now your wife to be your wife and she said, yes. How many of you men, you better all say you gave thanks. You gave thanks and she said, thank you, God. She said, yes, I know I did. But in this life, whenever we give thanks, well, eventually it kind of wears off. Like we're grateful, but, but with Paul... Like, it's not just a moment of thanks here and there. It's not just thanks, thanks, thanks. It was for a season. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So are y'all getting the picture? Like, this is a big deal. Uh, Paul wrote this probably six to seven years after uh, he, he left Ephesus. And so 
The reason why we're told that he has this posture toward the Ephesians, the reason why he gives so much thanks uh, for them is, well, here it is. He says, because he had heard something very special. He heard the report about the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus and another thing, the love that they had toward all the saints. So that is what provoked him to go on and on and on, repetitiously thanking God. And I don't know what he said exactly, but it's probably something like, God, you're amazing. That work that you did in Ephesus and are continuing to do, Lord, that's amazing. God, thank you. Thank you for working in Ephesus. Thank you for rescuing people from that Artemis cult. God, thank you for delivering people out of darkness into the light. Lord, thank you that these Ephesian believers, thank you that they, they have faith in you, Jesus. And thank you that they not, only, they not only have faith in you vertically, but they have love for their, their brothers and sisters horizontally. And I think it's like Paul just probably went on and on and on thanking God. And by the way, I thank God for you, well, because I see your faith and because I hear reports about your faith, I get fired up as a pastor when I hear about and see you exercising faith in Christ and loving one another. Nothing makes me happier than when I hear and when I see that happening right here at Midtown. And how many of y'all know God's doing that work right here at Midtown, provoking us to faith inspiring us to faith in Christ, but also in our love for one another. Well, well, that's what's going on here in the background of this prayer. Paul says, I do not cease giving thanks. And let, let's start with this element, because of their faith. Now, again, we don't know all the details, but it's very likely that, well, as people got saved, as they exercised faith in Jesus in Ephesus, that, well, they told people about it. They told people about it, and that's what follows, right? That's what we should do, right? If you have given your life to the Lord, if you have faith in him, and if you are continually having faith in him, I mean, don't you want people to know about that? Because if you have faith in him, that means you're proud of him. If you have faith in him, that means you trust him. If you have faith in him, that means he is your Lord and your Savior, and he's done stuff in your life, and your hope is that the same God will do a lot in other people's lives. So you want people to know, don't you? And you want people to know. And so we should be vocal. Maybe, maybe not be as vocal as I am right now, but we should be vocal in a wise way at our workplaces and out in the community that we should want people to know that we have faith in Jesus. But let me help everyone here. If you really have faith in Jesus, you won't have to announce it because people will see it. They will see it, meaning they'll see your life that is characterized by faith in Jesus. Which means that you will talk differently. If you have faith in Jesus, that means you trust him. That means he's your savior and your Lord. That means you will walk differently. It means you will talk differently. You're not going to be perfect, but you will be what? You'll be different. And you will live in, in, in a way that reflects your faith in God. So when you, when you watch the news, 
You don't watch the news or listen to the news like an unbeliever who has no hope. You watch the news, you listen to the news, whenever you do, through the, through the lens of Scripture, with the eyes of faith, knowing that even in the mess of the world, somehow, someway, God is going to work everything for your good if you've been called according to His purpose, right? It doesn't mean you don't grieve, you do, but you grieve in hope. You grieve, we weep in hope, knowing that for us, the best is yet to come. For believers, the best is yet to come. Do y'all believe that today? People will see that on you, so you'll respond differently to setbacks. You'll respond differently to the heartache and the heartbreak of life. People will see that on you because Jesus lives in you and you follow him by faith. Does that make sense? And so even if you don't tell people, they will see, they'll see that your life is different. And certainly that was happening in the Ephesian community because, listen carefully, when they placed their faith in Jesus, they got a new Lord and they got a new life. When you place your faith in Jesus, truly trusting him, you're united to him, and by necessity, you get a new Lord, a new boss, and you get a new life. Which means that, Jesus, I'm yours, you are mine. This is not about my will, I'm submitted to yours. And when God finds a man or a woman like that submitted to his will, God uses that person, raises them as a trophy of his grace, as a banner, as a billboard of his power in the world. He raises us to show the world not how good we are, but how good and powerful he is. But let's get specific from the text. They got a new Lord. They got a new life. And that new life, sorry for all the L's, but maybe it'll help you remember this. The new Lord gave them a new life. And that new life gave them a new love. One that they and never experienced one that they didn't have before they met Jesus. There was a new love because he gives thanks over and over and over again. Just like I'm telling you about this over and over to drive it, to help you understand. Paul was so thankful for their faith. But coupled with that, he was so thankful for the, watch, the love that they had toward all the saints. Think about that for a minute. Toward all the saints, not just the ones that they liked, not just the ones that they looked like, but toward all the saints. Like I could just picture them looking around in the congregations, looking at believers going, hey, my brothers and sisters are here. Who are my brothers and sisters? Who is my mother, my family? Jesus said, those who do the will of God. Look around y'all, this is the family of God and yes, we are to love people in the world, but this place gathered, as we're gathered together, this is the place of God's love on display. Yeah. Let me break this down because I feel like the fog is kind of thick. It's like this. If an unbeliever comes into this place today, and by the way, if you're an unbeliever, meaning someone you have not surrendered to Christ, you don't believe in him, but you're just here kicking the tires to see what this place is all about. If you're here, I'm so fired up you're here. But the aim is for this to be such a place of grace and love that someone like that could come into this place and say something like, I don't believe a word you're saying is true, actually. I don't even believe that there is a God, but I've read the Bible a little bit. I know what Jesus taught, and this is a place of love. 
for them to walk into this place. And Jesus says it this way in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know how the world know, knows that we're his? Well, there may be other ways, but according to Jesus, the primary way that people will know that we belong to him is by our love for one another. So people may disagree with us, that is in our doctrine, but they cannot disagree with the love that we have toward one another. Are y'all with me? So we can be known here at OSC Midtown for many things. May it be said, may it be so that this is a place marked by love. That people feel it, that they experience the love of God and they're drawn into the love of God as they see it. And so here's the way it works. We are never more like our Lord than when we love. And love is not lip service. It's our life service to one another. It's preferring one another. It's serving one another. It's laying our lives down for one another. And how about a real practical one? This is like the broad side of the barn. Not talking ill of one another on social media. And other Christians as well are included in that, the family of God. It means not nitpicking people. It means not nitpicking your brothers and sisters. It means not being critical of everything that they do. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be discerning. We, we should be discerning. We do speak the truth in love. But how many of y'all know, sometimes people in the world are nicer than people in the church. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes people in the world who do not know God are nicer and more loving than some people in the church who claim to know God. And I'm not saying, like, I, this irritates me when people say, it's the church today. Like, that's a big statement. Like, which, how many, what churches are you talking about? Like, you can't say the whole church. But when I see segments of the church failing to love, what that says to me is, number one, they're missing a great moment to show Jesus to the world. They're missing the moment because when the world watches us fight and argue and pick one another apart when the church eats its own and fights internally, you know what the world says about that? I got enough trouble on my own. I don't need to join the church to get any more. Are y'all with me today? So we should love one another. We're going to call one another out in love. But we should be those who love and serve and are kind and are gracious and so much more to one another here on Sundays, in our small groups throughout the week. And just the way that we live, we, we are called to be those marked by the love of God. Well, that's what was happening in Ephesus. They had faith in Jesus and they really, really loved one another. And Paul says, because of that, I do not cease giving thanks. And so Paul goes on in verse 17 to tell them, and by extension us, what he prayed for. Now listen, I'm only going to read two verses here from Ephesians. Okay, What I'm going to read is deep. Y'all heard earlier, right? Verses 15 through 23. How many of y'all know that was deep? But before I go further, let me say this. Your prayers do not have to be deep to be heard. And they do not have to be long to be strong. Okay? So you can pray in faith, God, help! <laughs> and how many of y'all know that can be a sufficient prayer? Okay? But it's almost like Paul couldn't 
He couldn't help himself. And inspired by the Spirit, he goes on to let the Ephesians know, well, what he was praying for. And, here, and here's what he says, beginning in verse 17. He, he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, Ephesians, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Look at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may what? That you may know. Now here Paul is asking, he's praying that God would give the Ephesians something from another world. Something that they could not get from Artemis. Something they could not get in Ephesus. Something they could not get from this level. He prayed that they would be empowered by the Spirit of God, and that the Spirit of God from on high would give them insight, we can say wisdom, and revelation in their knowledge of Him. Meaning this, Paul prayed that the Spirit who already dwelt within them, they were sealed by the Spirit, the Spirit lived within. He's praying that that Spirit would give them greater insight into who God is. And he uses the word revelation, apocalypsis. The word here means the unveiling. He's praying that the spirit, watch this, you have something hidden, have a blanket over it, would unveil God to them. Does that make sense? Insight, we could say wisdom, and that the spirit would unveil or reveal God to the Ephesians. Now that's quite a prayer, huh? Pastor, will you pray? Because this is happening, because that's happening, because I have this need. I'll pray for anything you ask, well, almost anything you ask me to pray for. As long as it's godly. Paul prayed that God would give them this ability by the Spirit, let's make it real simple, to know God better. And how many of y'all know that's really what we need in this church? And we don't need just more facts about God. We need to know him, like truly, truly know him. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to respond to this out loud, but do you really know, know God? Like truly know him. Paul says in verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now let's go slowly through this. Essentially, the grammar of this says that their hearts, the eyes of their hearts, picture heart with eyes, the way we would think of it today, their hearts had been enlightened. He's not asking that, that they, they would be, per se. He's saying, essentially, they already have been enlightened. And that's evident because they believed in Jesus, they, they believed the truth that was preached to them, and they were enlightened. And so he says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Well, what is the heart? Well, scholars tell us that the heart, at least definitely in Paul's thinking, is the seat of our emotions. It's the seat of our, well, let's say it this way, personality and understanding and intellectual life. It's the core of who we are. It's who we are in our inner being. He's praying that the eyes of our inner being would be enlightened. And Paul is saying that if you're a believer, essentially, 
God has already done this in you and for you. So as you sit here right now, if you're a believer in Christ, you have enlightenment. God has opened your eyes. The light has penetrated the darkness. You don't see everything there is to see about God, but you see enough to want to be here, to hear what I'm saying, and to worship God. Does that make sense? The light shines in the darkness. It's broken the, the, through the darkness of your own soul, and you now can see God. That's what, that's what he's He's getting at. And he prays here, essentially, that on this basis, that they would know more and more and more. Listen to the words here. About God, yes, intellectually, but that they would know God, not just with their, the way we say it today, just with their heads and with their understanding, but they would truly know God through their experience. See, revival happens when we, as the people of God, not only hear truth, but we believe truth, and then we live in light of that truth, where it's not just, we say it this way, up here, but it's here, it's in us. Like, we believe to the point that we encounter the living God, and it changes everything in our lives. That's what Paul's after here. That's what he's saying. He's not saying... Ephesians, I want your heads to be filled with more information. No, no. He's saying, I want you, Ephesians, by the Spirit, for the Spirit to unveil God in such a way that you see more of him, that you know him better with your understanding, but also in your day-to-day life. Though they already knew him, he wants them to know him more. And that's, that's the cry of a, of a good pastor. What do I want for y'all more than anything? That you know God more and more and more and more. You don't need me, though I'm going to serve you. You don't need a worship team, though we have an incredible one. At the end of the day, you need God. And I'm going to do my best just to help you by the word, see God. But if you just have the word and not the spirit, then you've just got the word. You need the word and you need the spirit to awaken you to the reality, young people, of who God is in your life. So it's not just head knowledge. It's not just facts. It's not just truth that you hear, but truth that you experience. That's biblical knowledge. That's what it means to know God. Maybe you've heard, for example, that so-and-so is loving. You've heard. Well, it's one thing to hear, but you don't really know. You don't really know that person is loving until you've been loved by that person, right? Until it's your experience. Maybe you heard that someone is generous. Okay, that's fine. You have it where? You have that in your head. But how many of y'all know it goes to an entirely new level altogether when that person has been generous to you? So it's not just here. It's I, I, I know that person's generous because I'm a beneficiary of that person's generosity, Many of us have heard that God is loving, perhaps because Tim Tebow told you so. It's one thing to hear that, but it's another thing altogether when you experience the love of God. That's what happens in times of revival. And my friends, revival is happening right now all across the world in varying degrees. 
Revival is happening at Midtown. Revival is happening at other campuses. Revival is happening in campuses, in hearts, in hearts that are in homes and lives across. And by the way, you don't have to go to Asbury, Kentucky, to the school there to experience revival. You can meet with God whenever and wherever you are. And if the spirit is moving and your heart is open, you can have a revival right there. And you don't have to manufacture anything. Y'all, this is a... This is a work of the Spirit within, the Spirit you already have. Paul's praying that that Spirit within would bring to light new truths, a deeper knowledge that leads to a deeper experience with God. And we're seeing this happen. And there are plenty of critics, as there always have been, there always will be. People say, it is totally of God. Then others say, no, Asbury, no, it's not of God. And they have other reasons, which I'm like, I don't even know where you came up with those reasons. But people have reasons, yay, nay. And listen, here, here's the truth. Here's, if you feel any pressure on this, you never have to defend God. He is perfectly capable of defending himself. And we have to be careful not to understate our case or overstate our case. Hey, can't we rejoice that college students, young people are flocking to churches. They used to flock to bars, but now they're seeking God. And I'm not endorsing everything out there. I can't, right? In every revival, you're going to have a lot of God, and you're going to have, in cases, a lot of flesh. You're going to have a lot of messes because there are a lot of people, and where there's people, there's poop. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. But are y'all with me? It's just inevitable. I can't believe I just said that, but it's true. It's true. That's an old Broussard. Tower Boudreaux is giving me the look, so I'm going to preach this way. Um, where there are people, there's stuff that happens for the good and the better. Y'all with me today? Maybe you're here and you're asking, okay, what is revival? Pastor Scott, you're using this word. I think I know what it means, but let, let me help you. Revival happens when the Holy Spirit awakens believers from a state of spiritual indifference, sleepiness, and or coldness. So it's going through the motions, and boy, that's easy to do, huh? It's easy. We can all fall into spiritual sleepiness. And perhaps it's because, mamas, you were up all night with a kid. Maybe it's because you've been running around just doing good things for the kingdom. But sometimes, one, man, one old preacher said one time, uh, in, in many cases, sometimes the greatest hindrance to intimacy with God is service for God. <laughs> you know, we can get so busy doing things for him that we can miss enjoying his presence. Have y'all ever been there? But y'all, we, we can miss a move of God. We can miss it if our eyes and ears aren't open, if we're not in tune with what God's saying and what he's doing. But it happens when we're awakened from a slumber. When preaching, no matter how loud I say it, you hear the word. Maybe before, you're just like, I don't think anybody here has ever done that. <laughs> but where you so long to hear the word that you break the speed limit coming to church. <laughs> Drive safely, my friends, obey the law. You can't wait to hear the Bible just read. This last Wednesday, we had a prayer meeting and it lasted four hours. And that's not because I preached that long. We had scripture reading. 
one person after another just read scripture. And God moved here for almost four hours. People encountering God. Let me ask you this question. Do you know him? Not just about him, do you know him? As I sit here and preach truth to you, as the word comes forth, is your soul burning with passion for the living God? If it is, you can rest assured that is a work of God within you. One preacher said in the time of the awakenings in in, um, the 18th century, he said, churches are dead largely because dead men preach to them. (laughs) And there's some truth to that. But my aim is just to deliver the word of God to you in a clear way. And then God, by the Spirit, shows you God in a clear, deeper way every time you show up to behold him. It doesn't matter how loud I preach, how many veins come out, how many one-liners I polish. When the word goes forth and the Spirit is moving, revival is on our hands. And... When the Spirit unveils God to us in a greater way, well, things happen. We respond in various ways. So, for example, I told the first service, it's like this. One person can get a deeper revelation of God, of who he is by the Spirit, an insight into who God is that that person's never seen or received before. And based on that revelation, and watch this, based on where that person is in life and what that person has gone through, when that person gets that picture, that crystal clear picture from the spirit of who God is, then that person could respond with weeping. Like weeping because they got a revelation that God is holy and he's righteous and he's bigger and greater than anything their mind and heart had ever conceived of or perceived before that moment. And maybe a person gets a revelation of God in that way and they weep for hours because they're just undone. They realize by nature how unholy they are and how holy God is. And there are some who just weep and they continue to weep and they confess their sins and they weep. And if you're to look, like if you're not going through that and God hasn't showed you that and you're, you're not in that place, you can look at someone weeping and say, oh, that's just a bunch of emotionalism, right? But maybe, or maybe you haven't been what they've been through and you haven't had an encounter like they're having. Maybe it is God. You just haven't experienced it yet. Does that make sense? Now, sometimes that can be manufactured. And so the sign of revival is not merely that people fall down in a meeting. Another sign, true sign of revival is that people walk upright from the meeting and that their lives are totally changed. 
And you can argue with the manifestation, but you can't argue with the changed life. So God is breathing on his church. He's breathing on us. God's showing us by his spirit more of who he is. One person might weep. Another person who's been in bondage to depression for years, perhaps decades, gets a revelation of the love of God by the spirit of God. A revelation, a depth of which they never had before. And based on that revelation, and based on where that person is in life and what that person has been through, that person jumps for joy and has permagrin. I mean, I'm talking Joel Osteen permagrin for a month. And they're walking around like, like, the, like they won the lottery. And they can't stop. And then meanwhile, others are walking around criticizing that person. And they got this look on their face like they just sucked on lemons and their shoes are too tight. And I'm like, if you just understood what the, this hell the person has been through, you would understand the joy that's now breaking out. What am I saying? Be very slow to judge. Yes, we have discernment. Be very slow to make judgments. Other, other people, they don't weep. They don't shout for joy. Other people, when they have a revelation of who God is in a deeper way, they just can't move. How many of you have ever been there? You just, you're so in awe of God that to jump would be inappropriate in the moment based on what you got from him and where you are in life. The appropriate response is absolute reverence just sitting before the Lord. I don't know if you saw what I, I just did here. Hopefully you see that I just pointed you to God. That you seek more of him. And then by the, Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit shows you more of him. And as you get more of him, let the manifestations be what they will. I don't care as long as you get more of him. More of him. And if there's some flesh in that, if there's some excess in that, we'll clean it up later. I'm saying Midtown with me, let's seek God together. Let's seek God together. I'm not seeking an experience. I'm seeking him. Don't seek a manifestation. Seek him. And when you get him, there's going to be something that happens out of this world, out of your experience, a bondage-breaking, yoke-breaking experience and ones to come that will mark you as the people of God who not only know about him, but know about him, know him in life. Does that make sense? So the Spirit unveils God to us. Young people, old people, you know who you are. And he brings revival. It's a work of the Spirit. Paul prays on this, on this basis. He prays on this basis that the Ephesians would know two things from this prayer. Actually, three. We're only going to have time to look at two. Let me give you these rather quickly. Paul wants the Ephesians. He wants them to know. Everybody say, to know. To know what God 
called them to. Verse 18, what is the hope? He wants them to know what is the hope to which he has called you. So God calls you from things, out of things, two things. Let's be more specific. He calls you out of bondage, from bondage, yes, to your glorious freedom in Christ. From to, from to. And there's a hope there, I hope, I hope, I hope. You understand the hope to which he's called you. But maybe you're sitting there going, hmm, I think I do, but what's that mean? May the Spirit of God open your hearts as the words come for you to know what I'm talking about. The hope, the hope that every believer here should have an increasing measure in days, in months, in years to come. You know, I'm only 45, but the longer I live, the less at home I feel in this world. And I hope I live another 40 years. I hope my, here's my desire. I don't know if God will let me do this, but I pray that I'm in my 80s preaching. I preach my final good sermon. We'll see. And then I go home, kiss my wife. I take a nap, and then I wake up in heaven. I don't know if it's going to happen exactly like that. But the longer I live, the less at home I feel here in this life. How about you? Because we're created for another life. We're created for another world. Every single one of you young people, I know you're not thinking about death, but it's certain. It knocks on our door. And death comes for every person. And with it, much despair for people in the world. And people are trying to live longer. Praise God, I took my vitamins this morning. We get this, we get that. We want to look good and feel good. All that's fine. Praise God. But all of us have an expiration date. Paul wants us to know beyond what we're going through to see the hope that we have in God through Christ. And that future hope, it's not, yeah, it's laid up in the future, but it should impact our present lives right now. So, we have been redeemed. We've been freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. But sin still remains, doesn't it? I sin less than I used to, but I still sin. How about y'all? Now, don't get happy about it. We're fighting it, though, right? We're putting it to death, though, right? We have been redeemed. But the Bible says one day we will be redeemed. You will, I will, we will put off this body of death and corruption, and we will be fully and finally redeemed before God. And so in your struggle, remember what I'm saying. In your darkness, remember that in Christ, your spiritual forecast is very bright. 
And that for us, the best in Christ is yet to come. No matter what you're facing right now, no matter what setbacks you're facing right now, we have a hope. Come on, y'all, we have a hope. He's called you from hopelessness to hope. You've got a hope and you've got a future in Christ. That's what Paul wants us to see. Can I teach y'all a word real fast? Are y'all awake? Y'all need revival? Here it is on the screen. The word is prolepsis. Prolepsis. Everybody say that with me. Prolepsis. Let me define this. Let me tell you how it applies to you. Britannica defines it this way. Prolepsis is a figure of speech in which a future act or development is represented as if already accomplished or existing. Now, that's a big word, at least in its consequence and its meaning. Let me read that again. A figure of speech in which a future act or development is represented as if already, some of y'all know where I'm going with this, is already what? Accomplished. So one dictionary gives this example. We could say that he was a dead man walking. Now, if the man is walking, he's not what? He's not dead. He's very much alive because he's, he's walking, right? But for someone who's seen the Western or you've seen the gangster movie, you know what's happening. You know what's going to take place. The man's about to walk through the door and he's going to get killed. But before he's killed, that future reality defines that man's present. He is a dead man walking. So we say it this way. His present was defined by what awaited him. Now let me help us all. Your present should be defined by what awaits you. And the Bible says you have been redeemed, but the Bible says you will be redeemed. You will be raised with Christ, but you have been raised with Christ. You have been delivered from sin, but you will be delivered from sin. So we should live in the present as though the future has already taken place. Even though it hasn't, it's certain because God promises that we will. So we don't live now like we were, or even as we are, we live in hope of what we will become proleptically by the power of God. Living in power, living in his strength with our heads up, not prideful, humbly, with our heads up, certain, listen to me, I am certain that every promise of God is just that, a promise that he will keep. Every promise for our lives will come to pass. Nothing in heaven, nothing in hell, nothing in life. Angels, demons, height, death, in every direction. Nothing can separate us from what God has for us. No fallen angel. Yes, Satan opposes us. But Paul says in Romans 16, 20, may the God of peace soon crush Satan under your feet. Right now, that's what he's doing through us. We have been redeemed, brothers and sisters. We will be redeemed. We are free. But one day we will be free indeed in the fullest sense.
Finally, Paul wants the Ephesians to know not just what God called them to, but what, listen to this, this is going to mess you up. Paul wants them to know what God, everybody say God, what God looks forward to. Using some words here from S.M. Bach, a scholar. What God <laughs> looks forward to. Now, I've been talking for a few minutes here about what we look forward to. How many of y'all know we have a lot to look forward to? Three of y'all know that. How many of y'all know we have a lot to look forward to? Okay, there you go. Right, okay. But according to Paul, God is looking forward to something in particular. What is that? The full and future redemption of his inheritance. Y'all know that God has an inheritance? I taught, I think it was last Sunday, that on one hand, we can say from Paul that we have an inheritance. Amen? But the Bible also teaches right here, not only that we have an inheritance, but that we are God's inheritance. Now, this is going to mess some of y'all up Maybe because your mind, your heart, your understanding has been stuck viewing God in a way that's more culturally conditioned than biblically conditioned. And what I mean by that is this. Listen to me carefully. Some of us believe that God merely just puts up with us. Because, you know, you do the good things that God calls you to, then you do the bad things, and, you know, you do the math, and you average it all out, and you're not going to say, well, I'm going to hell. You're kind of like, you know, he just kind of, he's just, he just kind of puts up with me. Maybe you never said that. But think about your own life, how you really perceive God. He just puts up with us. Paul prays that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Listen to Zephaniah 3.17 and just receive this as the word of God in your life. The Lord your God is in your midst. How many of y'all know he's here? How many of y'all know he's here? A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. See the language there? Quiet you. Sometimes preachers think something's wrong if it's too quiet in a service. Sometimes that can be the case. Maybe he's not being clear. Maybe the whole congregation is asleep spiritually. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into that. Or maybe it's because God is quieting us with his love. Maybe it's because the love of God is now so clearly evident for those people to see that every objection they have to God loving them and accepting them Every objection is quieted by his presence, 
by his word and by its promises. So we're just left going. He, God, will quiet us by his love. He will exult over you with what? Loud singing. You serve a God who sings over you. Young people, if you're in Christ, God does not put up with you. He delights in you. Feel that, y'all. Young people feel and experience know the love of God because I sure didn't as a teenager. I heard about him. I had knowledge somewhat of him, but I didn't know it. Know it in my experience. Young people, that you may know the love of God. He doesn't just put up with you. In him, he delights. He delights in you. And let that be the motivation for you serving him for the rest of your life. Not that you loved him, but that he loved you. And man, y'all are in the middle of a struggle like many of the older people here. There's always been sin, but y'all are in a pressure cooker Sin is sin, but it's never been easier to sin than it is right now. A generation led by their emotions, a generation so confused, they don't know who they are or whose they are, and y'all are right in the middle of it. May the Holy Spirit awaken your hearts to the love of God. And may the Spirit of God burn in you so deeply and so brightly. May God show himself to you. So strongly. doesn't put up with you. He delights in you. And that's true for all of us here. God delights in us because we are his inheritance. He doesn't delight in everything we do, clearly. But he delights in us. The Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. But we know because of that, and the Word of God tells us that more is to come. And so we look forward to having all of God, don't we? And God looks forward to having all of us.
Not us on Sunday. Not us just while we're in small group. Not just part of us, but God looks forward to having all of us. And I mean all of us, and I mean all of you. Heart, mind, soul, strength, all that you have. God wants it all. And one day when Jesus comes back, he's going to have it all. And here we are, the bride of Christ. And the bride, at least some members of the church, I don't want to say the whole church, we've run after other lovers. We're treasured, prized possession. But we haven't been living like it. And some people in, in the church have gotten in bed with other lovers. And by that, I don't mean another person per se. could be that. I mean with political parties, with the things of this world that we've been lured into to place our trust in. And in doing so, we have betrayed the lamb who was slain to redeem us, to be God's very own. Would y'all agree that that's true? The bride has chased after many other lovers. And the good news is the bridegroom is coming to get his bride back. He is here by his spirit to get you back because he doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He wants, he wants all of y'all, all of us. And revival happens when the Spirit of God helps us to realize that God really wants us. Do you get that? Revival happens when we repent of the things that have kept us from Him. Revival happens when we return to God with all of our hearts. That's what revival consists of. Would you lift your hands with me? Holy Spirit. Thank you for your loving kindness. Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would grant insight and revelation to us, God. I pray that we would know you now more fully, that we would love you more deeply. And God, I pray right now that you, by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, that you would place your finger 
on anything and everything in our lives that's kept us from loving you. Every idol, every sin. And Lord, I pray right now that we would get this incredible picture even in the midst of our darkness, that we would see the light of your face, the light of your countenance, that you are a God who rejoices over us with loud singing. You're a singing God. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, by the Spirit, I want you to hear the Lord singing over you, his bride. The voice of heaven, exuberant, joyful, not delighting in everything we do clearly, but delighting in us, wooing us and winning us over and over again, showing us his great love. God is in this place because you are in this place. You are, you are his. Spirit of God, thank you for the peace that you're bringing right now. Peace of God, love of God, very presence of God. Now he's quieting us with his love. Just receive, just receive, just receive. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. You are a good, 